Okay, a suggested outline is on the board. But let's read the psalm to begin with. For the choir director, a psalm of David. I waited patiently for the Lord, and He inclined to me and heard my cry. He brought me up out of the pit, out of, of destruction, out of the miry clay, and He made my feet, He set my feet upon a rock, making my footsteps firm. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and will trust in the Lord. How blessed is the man who has made the Lord his trust and has not turned to the proud nor to those who lapse into falsehood. Many, O Lord, my God, are the wonders which you have done and your thoughts toward us. There is none to compare with you. If I would declare and speak of them, they would be too numerous to count. Sacrifice and meal offering you have not desired. My ears you have opened. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. I have proclaimed glad tidings of righteousness in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips. O Lord, you know, I have not hidden your righteousness within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your loving kindness and your truth from the great congregation. You, O Lord, will not withhold your compassion from me. Your loving kindness and your truth will continually preserve me. For evils beyond number have surrounded me. My iniquities have overtaken me so that I am not able to see. They are more numerous than the hairs of my head, and my heart has failed me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. Make haste, O Lord, to help me. Let those be ashamed and humiliated together who seek my life to destroy it. Let those be turned back and dishonored who delight in my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, Aha, aha. Let all who seek, let all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. Let those who love your salvation say continually, The Lord be magnified. Since I am afflicted and needy, let the Lord be mindful of me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O my God. Okay. For the choir director, a psalm of David. And most of these psalms in book 1, which is Psalms 1 through 41, uh, most of those, of course, have David's name on the heading. The first two, 10 and 33, are the exception to that. One of the things that is striking about some of these psalms is to see how sometimes they have to be placed in a sequence for some purpose. Uh, He begins... By saying here in 40 verse 1, I waited patiently for the Lord. What the Hebrew text actually has, it has waited, waited, uh, with the verb 
being part of one of the words, but it has two forms of the same word right there together. But I waited patiently for the Lord. Um, in Psalm 37, verse 7, 37, 7, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him. That verse said, rest in the Lord, wait patiently for Him. In verse 34 of Psalm 37, wait for the Lord and keep his way. Then in Psalm 38, in Psalm 38, verse 15, for I hope in the Lord, and that's the same word translated wait here, I hope in the Lord, and you will answer, O Lord my God. Now, 38.15, look at 39, verse 7. 39, verse 7. The text says that now, Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. So, this series of psalms has called us to wait patiently on God. And Psalm 40 opens with this phrase, and the writer says, David says, I waited patiently for the Lord. I waited patiently. The Lord has now answered His prayer and the beginning of the psalm starts out as more of a thanksgiving or praise psalm because God has uh, answered Him as He's waited for Him. In verse 1, He also says, He's inclined His ear to me and He has heard my cry. He's heard my cry. Look at 39, verse 12. In 39, verse 12. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear to my cry. The words for hear, cry, the same words in 39, verse 12 and 40, verse 1. So again, the point is, this psalm may well have been placed. They may well have been placed in this order for this purpose, to call attention to these connections in the text. But in verse 2, he says, He brought me up out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry clay. It almost sounds like he's drowning, doesn't it? And and he's in the pit, he's in the miry clay, he is lifted up out of the pit, and he made my feet, he set my feet up on a rock, making my footsteps firm. So he uses the picture of of the pit and the miry clay to talk about the dangers he faced, and he talks about his feet being placed on a rock and his footsteps being firm to talk about a place of security. God has lifted him out of a place of danger and set him in a place of security. Set him in a place of security. In verse 3, he has put a new song in my mouth. Okay, before we get into verse 3, notice too all that God has done in verses 1 and 2. He inclined his ear and heard my prayer. He brought me up out of the pit. He set my feet 
upon a rock. And so now, after this deliverance, in verse 3, He put a new song in my mouth. A new song in my mouth. Many will see and fear and will trust in the Lord. The fact that He speaks uh, of God, a song of praise to our God, and then many will see and fear may indicate that this is some form of public worship or public proclamation of praise. Now I hesitate to do what I'm about to do because but Sunday night when we were having our song service uh, for those who are members here you know we have a song service on the last Sunday night of the month and we were having our song service. There was it was in the speaking part. It was not in the singing part. But there was something that was said, something that was said by Paul the other night. I don't remember exactly what he said, but it put me onto something. What, what I'm thinking about doing. I hate to tell you the conclusion I've reached before I really study this out, but I'm thinking about just studying or looking at this idea of singing throughout the whole Bible. And singing throughout the Bible, particularly you see that with the singing of a new song. And that is a phrase that's used in 33.3. I believe it's 96.1 and 98.1. But but a new song has to often do with some new act of deliverance. And often singing in the Bible is associated with victory, with triumph. And maybe one reason you see people in the book of Revelation singing, singing so often, is because it is associated with victory, with triumph. Now, I may study it all out. And I may see that there are problems with that, so I may never present it. Uh, but but I'm just I'm just mulling this over right now. Um, and, and I thought about the passage too the other night in James five thirteen. Remember what it says: If anyone is sad, what? Let it, no, 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 no. Yes, we're building up to that, but don't get ahead of it. If anyone is sad, let him pray. You know, if anyone is happy, I think it says, it may say something, but if it's close to that, it's the idea of blessing, let him sing songs. So, it is associated with victory, with happiness, with celebration, uh, with all of those things. John, are you looking at the verse? What exactly does it say? How does it say it? Uh, Is any among you... Suffering, let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Okay. But often uh, in the Bible, singing is associated with cheerfulness, happiness, victory, and uh, things of that nature. But he has waited patiently for the Lord. And the Lord has blessed him. The Lord has heard his cry. The Lord has put a new song in his mouth. And this new song that the Lord has put in his mouth is going to lead people to see and fear and put their trust in God. Now that's the value 
of, of writing a new song, of writing a song, celebrating a deliverance that God brings because that song can instruct people to see, to fear, to trust the Lord. And he draws a conclusion from this. How blessed or blessed is the one, is the man who has made the Lord his trust. His conclusion after waiting patiently for the Lord and the Lord answering his request, his conclusion is the one who puts their hope and trust in the Lord is blessed. That is the path of blessing. That is the path of salvation. How blessed is the man who has made the Lord his trust, who has not turned to the proud, nor to those who lapse into falsehood. Now, I'm supposing, I'm guessing, uh, and I'm not remembering exactly, but I'm guessing that our translations are pretty different right here. Do any of you have something much different in 40 verse 4 for the proud? Any of your versions have anything significantly different? They don't. Okay. The word here is a... a, I say it's a very rare word. In in the way it's used, it's it's only used here. Um, Do you remember there are... I believe three references to this word in the singular in the Bible. Do you remember that Job, these are two of them, Job 9 verse 13, Isaiah 30 and verse 7, use the term Rahab. Uh, And it's not talking about the spy, the one who kept the spies, but it's talking and apparently of some uh, sea monster there or some some kind of monster. Matter of fact, I looked at one translation before I had, I kind of read over the Hebrew text. wasn't paying a lot of attention uh, to some of the word to all the words, but but looking at just kind of getting a general feel of it. And one of the translators who gave his own translation to commentary says, "Blessed is the one who has not turned to the sea monsters." Now that's just a little bit different than the translation proud. And I thought, why did he do that? Well, you look it up, I see why he did that. But the reason is because this is used, this this monster who who is uh, who is powerful and mighty, he seems to be a picture of the ones who are proud. They've not turned to the proud, nor have they lapsed into falsehood. Do any of your translations at the end of verse 4 have the idea of there being false gods? Okay, what translation is that? I'm just seeing the New Living does. The New Living does. What any other translations represented? NIV does. NIV, I thought it did. New Century uh, Version. New Century Version does. So, again, that word's a little difficult to translate. Is it talking about false gods? Is it talking about false things? Most of the times the word is used. It is just talking about falsehood in general. But I think the idea may be whatever the alternative, how blessed is the person who trusts in God, not in these false ways or false gods, 
or those who are proud or arrogant, how blessed is the person who puts their trust in Him. And the reason for that is because the Lord's wonders in verse 5 and the Lord's marvelous works are never ending. Many, O Lord, are the wonders that you have done. And that word for wonders, I believe it was used, it's used more frequently in the Psalms than any other book, but it often speaks of God's mighty acts like bringing the people out of Egypt. Many are your wonders, O Lord, and your thoughts to us. And there is none to compare with you. In one of our songs, we sing the word, There is none like him. None can compare. No God his equal. No prince his heir. There is none to compare with you. And if I would declare and speak of them, speak of all God's wonders and all the great things God has done, he said they would be too numerous to count. If we were to begin every day with giving God thanks for all He has done, and if we were conscious enough and had our eyes open enough to see everything that God has done, we would never have another task except giving Him thanks. Because everything that happens to us from day to day that is good is a result of His blessings and His wonders. And He says they are too numerous to count. Now we want to do, as we go throughout this psalm, see some comparisons between key words. So we want to come back to verse 5 a little bit later. Do you recognize verses 6-8 through as being quoted in the New Testament? I hope you do. We're going to try to deal with this at the end of class, Lord willing, tonight. Though it's difficult to say exactly what Hebrews is doing with this quotation from Psalm 40. But he says, Sacrifice and offering you have not desired. My ears you have opened, burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Now, let's look at these words just a moment. Last year, some of you, uh, we studied the book of Leviticus together. And uh, the book of Leviticus in the first seven chapters, deals with five of the basic types of sacrifice in Israel. Now, how many different types can you name? Of the Leviticus one through seven, five basic kinds of sacrifice. What kinds were they? Burnt, burnt offering. Okay, that was chapter one. The burnt offering. What else? <coughs> The fellowship or the peace offering was Leviticus 3. Uh, what else? Sin 
sin offering, Leviticus 4 and 5. Uh, and then also after that, there was, this is the one that's forgotten the most. You remember what was after the sin offering? Guilt. The guilt or the trespass offering was next. And then you had the grain offering. What I want to, you to notice, these are the five kinds of offerings mentioned in Leviticus 1 through um, 7. Here he uses the names for three of these. He said the meal offering, or that is the grain offering, and the sin offering, and the burnt offering. He mentions three of these kinds of sacrifice. And he also has the general word sacrifice to begin this. Now that word sacrifice, sometimes it's used of the peace offering, but, but more generally it's just used of any kind of offering there. So he is mentioning three of the five types of sacrifice and then throwing in the overall general word for sacrifice. This is pretty comprehensive is what I'm saying. He is basically summing up the Old Testament laws and the Old Testament truths about sacrifice. And he says, sacrifice and meal offering you have not desired. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. But my ear you have opened. My ear You've opened. What what does that mean? That means that if he is now overwhelmed at all God has done and how God has saved him and God has put a new song in his mouth and how blessed is the one who puts his trust in God and now he's coming to offer a sacrifice to thank God for all God has done and he knows that no sacrifice is adequate to sum up Everything that God has done, and he, he speaks in language that sounds universal, not as much so as it sounds. He says, God's not desired these things. God's not required these things. But says, what God wants, God wants is my ear to be open. And he says in verse 8, I delight to do your will. Do you remember when Saul returned from victory over the Amalekites? When Saul came back from victory over the Amalekites. And he was offering sacrifices. And uh, Samuel comes and rebukes him. And says, the Lord told you to destroy these creatures. And you have brought back some of them. And he says, I brought them back to do sacrifice to the Lord. He says, as the Lord is much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than to sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. To obey is better than the sacrifice. The word obey in that particular context is a word that is often translated here. The word hear, the word obey, uh, it is the Hebrew word, it's a word that you hear sometimes, Shema, Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. That passage is sometimes called the Shema. 
and uh, to obey, to hear. And he says, Lord, if I were simply to bring this offering, this is not all that you want. You want a listening ear. You want an ear that's ready to hear and a heart that's ready to obey and someone who delights to do your will. God, you want so much more than just a sacrifice. You want me to give my whole life. I don't think he's categorically saying in this passage, well, sacrifices are not important. Do you remember when they offered the first three of these offerings in particular? That when they offered those offerings, it was said to arise as a soothing aroma to God? That means God was pleased with it. it God was pleased. God did ask these. But God always asks for more than just their sacrifice. God asks them to give themselves. My ear you have opened. I delight to do your will, O my God. And your law is within my heart. Whether law is a good thing or a bad thing depends a lot on who wrote it, doesn't it? I don't want to spend too much time studying laws that are made for us today. That would be pretty boring. And that would often encourage people just to get around the loopholes. But if the law was made by God Himself, it takes on a different picture, doesn't it? And he says, your law is within my heart. Look back at Psalm 37, verse 31. In Psalm 37, 31, he described the righteous man by saying, the law of his God is in his heart and his steps do not slip. God's law, God's instruction, that's not a dirty word. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. Because it reveals the lawgiver. Now, I want you to notice one of these words that's repeated here that is significant. You see in verse 6, and I'm looking at the New American Standard, so it may be different from yours, but the New American Standard tells us in verse 6, and it says, Sacrifice and meal offering you have not desired. And then in verse 8, it says, I delight to do your will, O God. Now, that word desired, one, it's talking about God's desire, and here it's talking about David's delight. But this is the same Hebrew word. Same Hebrew word. This is telling us what God desires or what God delights in, or here, what God doesn't delight in. And verse 8 is talking about what David desires or David delights in. And while God doesn't simply delight or desire us to bring our sacrifice and an offering to God, what God does desire and God does delight in is that we do His will. And His law is written in His heart. Blessed is the man 
who doesn't follow in the way of the wicked or stand with the sinful or sit with the scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in that law, he meditates day and night. Psalm 1, verses 1 and 2. And remember when Jeremiah spoke of God making a new covenant with His people, that one of the things that he says about those people in the days of that new covenant is the law will be written within their hearts. Jeremiah 31 and verse 33. I delight to do Your will, O my God. But the Bible often says things like in verses 6-8 through not to disparage sacrifice but to say there was always something more important. There was always some... The passage that we quoted just a moment ago about obeying here was 1 Samuel 15 verses 22 and mainly verse 22 is what we've quoted. Uh, but there are a whole list of passages that are in the prophets that have this idea that what the Lord ultimately wants is not sacrifice. That the Lord wants a heart that is willing to surrender to His will and to do what's pleasing in His sight. And here's just a here's just a brief listing of a few of them. We will also encounter that idea in the Psalms. When we get to Psalm 51, the Lord doesn't delight in our burnt offerings and sacrifices. To try to put it in perspective, I've wondered how's the best way to say it. If if a preacher that was speaking truth, I'm, I'm assuming that right now, and speaking rightly, stood up and said, God's not interested just in us taking the Lord's Supper, but in giving our whole heart to God. My point in saying something like that, and I might say something like that, and, and you might say something like that here, in the spirit of these verses, it's not to minimize the taking of the Lord's Supper. It would be a way to say, to take it without letting that affect our whole life is foolishness. And that's what he's saying here about sacrifice. That when they gave their animal to God, it was a picture of them giving their whole lives and hearts to God. And he says in verse... Nine, I have proclaimed glad tidings of righteousness in the great congregation. Behold, I will not restrain my lips. O Lord, you know, I have not hidden your righteousness within my heart. I have, I have spoken of your faithfulness and salvation. I have not concealed your loving kindness and truth from the great congregation. He had waited patiently for the Lord and the Lord had delivered him. And he didn't keep quiet about it. That's the point. He is telling others what God has done for him. He says this negatively in verse 9 and 10, I will not restrain my lips and I have not concealed your loving kindness 
What does those mean in context? Well, it means the same thing as the line between them when it says, I have spoken of your faithfulness. The point is, He has spoken of God's faithfulness. He has spoken of God's righteousness. He has spoken of God's salvation. He has spoken of His loving kindness and His truth. He has told the story of what God has done. You remember the man who had the legion of demons cast out from him. And he begs to go with Jesus. And Jesus says, no, go back to your own country and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you. And we assume he went back and he spoke of the Lord's faithfulness and the Lord's salvation and loving kindness and truth. Whether he used those words or not, he was saying that. He was saying what God has done to save him. And so we need not keep quiet about Him. Did you notice how verses 10, verses 9 through 11, they they just pile up terms about God's nature. Your righteousness, verse 10. Your faithfulness, verse 10. Your salvation, verse 10. Your loving kindness, your truth. Now loving kindness and truth are both going to be mentioned again in verse 11. Loving kindness and truth. And compassion in verse 11 is a new... It's newly added to this category. But he's just describing God's salvation and God's blessing and he is piling up terms to refer to it. By the way, any questions or comments? Couldn't help but think of Isaiah one, and I mean, wasn't it that God didn't want sacrifice, but it, He didn't have their hearts. Yes, that's right. And and if they wanted to make their sacrifices acceptable, they had to change their whole lives. He told them uh, in Isaiah one verses sixteen and seventeen. Uh, yes, exactly. I wanted to ask another question too. In verse one, uh, could could you would you at all have the idea that he's talking about the filth of sin and how uh, miserable he is in his sin? Are you talking about verse two in particular? Uh, well, uh, where where he says, uh, "You brought me out of the pit of destruction and out of the miry clay." He was in the miry clay. Yeah. I think there he does talk about his sin in just a moment. So is it possible that that is a picture of um, a problem that he's gotten himself in, that he needed to be rescued from, is talking about how dirty sin is? It's, It's possible. It seems like to me, though, that he is talking more about uh, a desperate, hopeless condition that he's in that he is rescued from. Uh, that word that's used there in verse 2 for pit, I believe it's used nine times. I believe that's right. No, I may be getting that number mixed up. Yes, I think I, I'm not, maybe that's too many. But it's used quite frequently in the Joseph accounts to talk about Joseph being thrown in the pit. And later, Joseph being thrown in prison by Potiphar. But but even a, a, a more compelling comparison, maybe in Jeremiah 38, where Jeremiah was thrown into the pit. And remember, the text says his feet were sinking in the mud. 
in Jeremiah 38, verse 6. So, I think this is a hopeless, helpless condition that God is delivering from is the main idea. Sometimes that word pit is also used as a synonym for Sheol or destruction or death. Now, just a hint, people. That may verse may resurface later when we talk about how Jesus fulfills this psalm. Okay, uh, but 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 I, what you're saying is definitely possible there, boy. But I think that the main idea is just he has been rescued from a hopeless situation, Brad. When this topic of um, obedience and sacrifice comes up, I, I can't help but think of this uh, story. It's been several years ago when the NFL, um, when the NFL started penalizing or charging the players for doing an offense, uh-huh. you know, instead of just a penalty on the field, they would charge them money. Uh-huh. Um, I remember an article about a, a Patriot player, which so it's easy to, to jump on this because. So this guy claimed that he instead of going to be obeying the rules of the NFL, he set aside $100,000 just to pay the penalties because he was going to continue to do the wrong act. And so it always is there. It's like to obey is better than sacrifice. He's saying, I'm not going to do what you tell me to do. I'm just going to pay the penalty. And so it didn't change his actions. It just changed his Finances, and every time that 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 idea comes up, I can't help but think of that. That it's like God doesn't want to just go. Sorry about that, God. Here is what I'm paying for. It it didn't change the heart. It's a heart issue rather than a uh, a penalty. And so I can't help but think of that. Yes, Sewell Hall used to use the illustration that um, you know, it's uh, parents were driving the car and. they told that their son was in the back seat standing up and he was really rebellious and, and they were going to keep, you know, he said, uh, finally they just, they keep on, he says, sit down. He says, he, and he finally the, the, the boy said, according to the story, I, I, I'll sit down, but in my heart, I'm still standing up. That's <laughs> the kind of thing you're, you're talking about. And that's, we know that's true too. And, and God wants us to surrender our whole hearts to Him. He wants us to surrender our whole hearts to Him. And, and I really believe that a lot of what He says, particularly in these verses that we've just talked about in 9 and 10, show us He had surrendered His heart. When he's proclaiming God's righteousness and God's faithfulness and God's salvation, and he's not keeping quiet about it. he is telling everyone he has. It has totally changed who he is. Now in verse eleven, he he, he begins to address the Lord. Some have this, some versions have this as a statement of fact. You, O Lord, will not withhold your compassion from me. Do any of your translations have this more as a prayer? O Lord, do not withhold from me your compassion. NIV. NIV. NIV has this as a as a request. Now, let me tell you something about the word withhold that's significant here in verse eleven. The word withhold. 
in 4011 is the same Hebrew word in 49, 40 verse 9 translated restrain. Now, in 40 verse 9, David is the one who has not restrained or not withheld his lips. He has praised God for what God has done. And because he has not restrained his lips in praise of God, and he knows that God knows, he says, you know, O Lord, you know. Now he says, you, he once again uses the emphatic you at the end of verse 9, at the beginning of verse 11, and says, O Lord, do not withhold or do not restrain your your compassion from me. So just as he has not been quiet about what God has done, he has not withheld praise from God, he's not restrained his lips from magnifying God, he says, God, don't restrain or withhold your compassion from me. He uses the same word and just says, oh Lord, I did this. Please show compassion on me in my time of crisis. And your loving kindness and truth continually preserve me. He has praised God's loving kindness and God's truth in verse 10. He has praised them. And now He says, Lord, let them preserve me. In verse verse 11. In verse 12. Evils beyond number have surrounded me. My iniquities have overtaken me, so I'm not able to see. They are more numerous than the hairs of my head, and my heart has failed me. Now, have we read something before in the psalm that was too numerous to count? What was it, Jason? You're shaking your head. Yes, I'm sorry. I thought you were already... um, In verse 5. Okay, yeah, verse 5. That's right. What was it? Uh, God's... Uh, the praises that are due God. Yeah, God's wondrous acts. God's wondrous acts are more than we can count. They are more than we can number. And so are our sins. Now, isn't that the combination? Our sins are more than the hairs of our head, and they are too numerous to count. And yet, God's wonders toward us, God's acts of mercy and compassion and loving kindness and truth and grace toward us, they're too numerous to count. That contrast highlights how God is the hero of Scripture. We're the ones who get ourselves into problems. He's the one who shows loving kindness and mercy and salvation. Beside of verse 13... You may have a note, a footnote, that says Psalm 70, verse 1. Look at Psalm 70 sometime. 
look at it tonight, and I think you'll find that Psalm 70, which only has five verses, is almost word for word what we have here in Psalm 40, verses 13 through 17. It is almost word for word. There are some exceptions, which we, Lord willing, will point out when we get there, but but be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. Make haste, O Lord, to help me. A lot of Psalms where David prays words like this, he prays words like this in the beginning, and at the end his words of praise and thanks. Here he has the words of praise and thanks at the first part of the psalm, and then at the end he is begging for help. Just as, But maybe this is a good illustration to us. Let your request be made known to God with thanksgiving. Philippians 4.6 He gives thanks for God's deliverance in the past in verses 1-10 through 10, and He asks for help in the present and the future in verses 11-17. through 17. He is making His request known with thanksgiving. The God He is appealing to to save Him, to deliver Him is a God who has saved Him and delivered Him time after time. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. Make haste to help me. Let those be ashamed and humiliated together who seek my life to destroy it. Let those be turned back and dishonored who delight in my hurt. By the way, our word delight, same word, Forty, verse 14, God does not delight in sacrifices. The psalmist David delighted to do your will and there are some who delight in hurting David. Because of it. Same word used three places in the psalm. In verse 15, let those be ashamed, but let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, aha. And in contrast, in verse 16, let all who seek you rejoice and be glad. Let those who love your salvation say continually, the Lord be magnified. Okay, let's, let's, a way to help us grasp what's going on in these last few verses, as David talks about his enemies, then he talks about uh, God's salvation, but he talks about his enemies, and his enemies, in verse 14, they are seeking David's life. They're seeking his life. In 40 verse 15, they are saying, Aha! Now who remembers before, and you'd be doing really well if you get this right, what psalm that we studied before says, Aha! My side margin says 35. Yeah, you're right. (laughs) And sometimes, sometimes, good footnotes cover a multitude. (laughs) It's not in Scripture, but it's kind of a play on Scripture. And you remember how we said when we were there that every time you see that phrase in the Bible, it's like, the wicked are mocking and okay we've got him now or something to that effect 
Now, notice this contrast though in thirty in forty verse six. While the wicked seek David's life, the righteous in forty in verse sixteen are described as those who seek you. They're seeking God. In contrast to some who seek to persecute the righteous and even kill the righteous, there are some people who are seeking the Lord. And instead of people who are saying to others, Aha, I've got you! These righteous people are saying continually, The Lord be magnified. What are you seeking in your life? What are you saying? Which category do you fall into? Let those who love you say continually, the Lord be magnified. And that's also in Psalm 35, in verse 27, the same word. Since I am afflicted and needy, let the Lord be mindful of me. These are that final statement or this final verse. I am afflicted and needy is a statement about David's need. It's a statement of humility. I'm in a position that I'm broken and I'm weak, and I can't help myself. Lord, be mindful of me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay. What, what other things do you all have there that you want to ask about? Jason? Um, back in verse 7, maybe you commented on this already and I missed it, but uh, what are your thoughts on in the scroll of the book it is written of me? And what's no, uh, I didn't comment on it. It is very, it is very difficult, but I, I wasn't intentionally ignoring it. But it, it is, and you'll see a lot of, it is difficult, and you'll see a lot of different ideas there. The idea that a lot of people come, keep coming back to in the scroll of the book, it is written. They think it may be a reference to David as king, pointing out that the Torah talks about how the king in Deuteronomy 17 is not to multiply wives, he's not to multiply horses, he is not to multiply silver and gold, but he is to read the word every day of his life to keep him humble, to keep him from turning to the right and to the left. And they make the point, a lot of writers make the point, that this is calling, it calls the king to be a spiritual leader of the people. The king is called. And so he, as king, is recognizing that responsibility. And his behold, I come, in this context, is a statement of him coming before the Lord in worship as the Lord would have him to. A man who is not just bringing his sacrifices, but a man who's given himself to God. But but you will if you read a lot of different writers in Psalms, you're going to see several different ideas. But that is the one that I found they came to most consistently that also made the most sense. 
to me. All of that may take on a new significance in light of the way Jesus uses it, though. Um, any, any other questions? Okay, let's look at Hebrews 10, and then we'll ask, because this, this is obviously a big part of how Jesus fulfills this psalm, but at the same time, the New Testament quotes this so extensively, I think we have to explain it a little bit. Now, I want you, I'm asking you to really pay close attention to these words. Pay close attention. And I want to ask you, how does this differ? Keep your finger still in Psalm 40. How does this quotation or reading from Psalm 40 differ from Psalm 40 itself? At least in our translation. Um, who wants to read this for us? Hebrews 10, 5 through 10. Madeline, you want to read it? 5 through 10? Yeah. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. And I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings, in burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second, and by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Christ Jesus once and for all. Okay. Hebrews 10 5 through 10. Hebrews 10, 5 through 10. Now, did you notice how does that differ from... Hebrew writer has Christ saying that. Okay, Hebrew writer has Christ as the speaker. We'll get to that in just a moment. Right now we're talking about the actual words of the quotation. How does this differ from what we read in Psalm 40? Speaks of a body in verse uh, 5. Okay. He says, Sacrifice and offering you have not desired, but a body you have prepared me. What does the Old Testament say? Sacrifice and offering you have not desired. My ears you have opened. It's a lot of difference, isn't it? Well, how do you explain that Difference. First of all, our Old Testaments are based, our Old Testaments are largely based on the Hebrew text. And they get help from other ancient translations like the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. And then later there came things like the Vulgate, which was a Latin translation. They get help from those things. But our translations, our English translations, are largely, they go first and foremost by the Hebrew text. The Hebrew text here, 
the Hebrew text says, my ears, the New American Standard has, my ears you've opened. Um, The Hebrew text actually says something like, my ears you dug out. And that, that may be the same idea. You you dug out. And I've known people that have gone to the doctor with hearing problems and were expecting to get hearing aids. And they said, your hearing's fine if we can just clean that out. And uh, that's and that might be the idea. Um, and so, but the Septuagint, which was the Greek translation of this, the Greek translation had a body you have prepared. And, and maybe I should capitalize that you for God because it's definitely speaking of God in both instances. But the point, this he is basing this on the Greek translation of the Old Testament. It's not like he's just making this up. But he is quoting from the Greek translation. Now, in Hebrews 10, as Boyd already pointed out, one of the things he does right at the beginning is he makes these the words of Jesus. Now, can we apply all of Psalm 40 and say Jesus is the speaker? No. Why not? Sin. sin. Yeah, he has sin. He has sin too many to count in verse 12. So that doesn't work. But And he's not making then therefore a technical statement, but, but ultimately Christ as the author of all Scripture and as represented by all the godly attitudes in it, he mentions sacrifice and offering you have not desired. He goes through those four types of sacrifice that we mentioned earlier, he goes through them in verses 5 and 6 and in verse 8 he mentions sacrifice offering, burnt offering and sacrifices for sin and he said that God was not a God was not pleased with these God was not did not desire these nor did nor did he take pleasure he did not desire nor did he take pleasure now we stated in the old testament context this is not a complete condemnation of these things for obviously God did desire these things. They were a sweet aroma to Him. But here the Hebrew writer is stressing those words to say ultimately this system of sacrifice was going to be replaced. Now I want you to notice something in Hebrews 10 between verse 5 and verse 8. What do you notice differently in verse 5 and verse 8 between the words sacrifice and offering? What do you notice different about those two words in those verses? Plural. Okay, they're plural in verse 8. They're singular in verse 5, sacrifice and offering, but in verse 8, they're plural, sacrifices 
and offerings. The the text is talking about those multitude of sacrifices that are offered year by year and day by day that can never make the worshiper perfect. And I think taking the plural sacrifice and offering is simply piling to say one sacrifice after another. These are things that God did not ultimately desire nor take pleasure in them. Now again, we have to understand that in its Old Testament context. But now the writer of Hebrews is talking about these things. And instead of simply offering a burnt offering or sacrifice, what God desired most of the people was a heart to do His will. Now, in the Old Testament... How many sacrificial animals do you think volunteered for that duty? (laughs) Not only did they not, I, I don't know if they could, really. And yet, in Jesus, we have one who willingly came as sacrifice. He was the offer. He, he was the one who brings the gift, who brings the sacrifice and the offering. And He is the sacrifice and offering at the same time. And He delighted to do God's will. And by this will, verse 10, Hebrews 10.10, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ... Once for all, when America entered into World War I, the American president said, and this is so foolish when you think of it, but this is the war to end all wars. Well, history has shown that wasn't quite right. But this was the sacrifice to end all sacrifices. It was a sacrifice to end all sacrifices. What God desired most is one who delighted to do God's will and who did did God's will from the heart. And Jesus, as the sacrifice, gives Himself willingly to fulfill all that those Old Testament sacrifices pointed to. I delight to do Your will. When Jesus in the Gospel of John says, I came not to do my will, but the will of Him who sent me. And what is that? When He comes to the end of His way and He says, not my will, but Your will be done. He is doing God's will and giving Himself as a sacrifice. The sacrifice to end all sacrifices. That may not have answered all your questions on Hebrews 10 use of this passage. I think that points us to the general answer. But this is a difficult passage. But I will tell you, and this goes back to Jason's question earlier when he said, what does it mean, the scroll of the book? If Jesus is a speaker, like Boyd pointed out, he's said to be in verse 5. A new significance is given to that statement in the scroll of the book, it's written of me. Because Jesus said, it all's talking about me. If you believe Moses, you would have believed me, because Moses spoke of me. 
in John 5, in verse 39. And search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, but they are they which testify of Me. The other passage I quote is John 5, uh, 46, I believe. But um, Jesus, in the scroll of the book, it is written of Him that He would come to do God's will. Now, that's the main way Jesus fulfills Psalm 40. And I grant it. I would not draw those conclusions from Psalm 40 were it not from the book of Hebrews. Were it not for the fact that the inspired author of Hebrews, whoever he be, drew those conclusions. Um, But how else does Jesus fulfill Psalm 40? Okay. Well, verse 14, there are those who are seeking his life to destroy. Okay, very good. You, they sought his life. They tried to destroy it. They were dishonored and they were turned back by his resurrection. And through him, in verse 16, continuing the idea... All who seek God rejoice and say, let the Lord be magnified in Jesus' resurrection. In Jesus' resurrection, in verse 2, He has been brought out of the pit and out of the miry clay to set His feet on a rock. And just as this writer was delivered and this writer praised God with a new song in Psalm 40 in verse 3, As the writer praised God with a new song. In Revelation 5 verse 9. They sang a new song. Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals. For you were slain and you purchased for God with your blood. Men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. They sang a new song. Celebrating the victory through the death. Of Christ. And the death of Christ and his resurrection is the ultimate demonstration in verse 10 of his righteousness, of his faithfulness, of his salvation, of his loving kindness, and of his truth. Each of these Psalms is greater then we have the ability to express. And may it lead us to stand in awe of God. And let's pray. O Lord our God, we can all think of moments and instances in our life where we felt like we were sinking and drowning. And you lifted us up out of the miry clay and set our feet on a firm place. Thank you, God, for filling our mouths with a new song. Thank you for your deeds of deliverance, which are too many to count. Thank you. And we know there are people here, uh, even now, who worry about people who are close to them, dear to them, 
or maybe even some in situations we know don't know that are worried about themselves and certain problems. And Lord, we beg you, make haste to rescue them, to not withhold your loving kindness and your mercy. Lord, we are indeed poor and afflicted. We are needy. We come before you not claiming to be anyone great, but simply begging at your footstool for mercy and compassion, for your salvation. In Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, after Brad, you do have songs. After Brad's song, I wanted to, to say something just briefly at the end. But, um, I've got two separate sheets here, so. Uh, Psalm 40, uh, both these songs are in a minor key, so um, just heads up on that. Uh, and on the first song, uh, there are two verses on the back, so hopefully you'll have picked up the tune by then, and um, we'll, uh, we'll go from there. Everybody got one?
Second one, there is a green hill. We haven't <coughs> seen this one very often, um, but probably the older people recognize it. Two thirds. That's right. It's an old rock song. So. No, so long. Oh
Now, what I wanted to say, just, and I wanted to make sure and say this, 